Shock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect upon the sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. For additional information, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. Hello and welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. I am your host, the Madman. Thank you for paying attention. Thank you for all the birthday wishes last week. I really appreciate it. Uh, ask me some questions. Call, uh, email me in the call me. Email me in the mailbag, uh, madman at fxbgpr.com. Ask me some weird questions, and I'll give you some weird answers. I guarantee it. Uh, we, can, we can bring that back. We can bring back the mailbag. Mm. Oh, beer tastes good. Okay, so welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. Like I said, I'm Madman, your host, and um, you know my back is really killing me. Uh, my hip, my back. My, uh, well, you know, you know the rest. <laughs> so uh, my hip, my back has been bothering me. I think I need an inversion table. So what I need you to do is to buy me an inversion table. And all you have to do is go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio, become a patron. I would appreciate it very much. Three bucks a month, very cheap, especially at today's inflated currency. Very cheap. Three dollars a month, become a patron. I would appreciate it. If you can't do that, you can also do cash app. Use the cash tag shockmonkeyradio, all one word. Uh, you can see here behind me, if you're watching the video, in the video you can see live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, search for the Shock Monkey Radio YouTube channel, and you can see that there. Okay, so I had a weird dream last night. I had a weird dream that I was back on board my ship, uh, the USS Mount Whitney. I was on, on board the USS Mount Whitney, and it was filled to the brim with raspberries, all right? I remember it, it's distinctly, you know, it, you always remember the last part of the dream because you're in the dream and then all of a sudden you start waking up. All right. And this is one of those dreams that really, really gets my goat. And I, I know you may not be interested in hearing this, but I'm walking down the USS Mount Whitney. I'm walking uh, towards, uh, walking aft on the starboard side of the ship on the main deck of the, where, you know, the, the, uh, the ramps to get on were. And, and there's just raspberries in the gunnels, just raspberries everywhere. Just sacks and sacks of raspberries everywhere. And nobody's saying anything about it, you know. And it's even that sense of, you know, I've, I've been eating raspberries, you know, in every meal since we got the raspberries. And then I'm, com I'm coming off the ship. We're going on the quarter deck, and I'm about to go off, and there's some a bunch of sailors sitting there. And they're filling bags, like big, like five-gallon bags filled with raspberries to every sailor as they're taken off the ship. And there, there's some people saying, no, I've had enough of raspberries. I don't think I'll ever eat raspberries again. But they're shoving it. And it's like, you take this off the ship and do something with it. Right? So I don't know what's going on with this dream. And when I'm given, getting shoved these raspberries, five pounds of raspberries, I was like, well, I definitely know somebody who could use five pounds of raspberries. And so I'm, I'm that as, and I wake up as I'm walking off the ship, and I'm, and I'm mad. I'm mad that I'm waking up. It's like, no, 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 no. Where was this going? Where was this going? Where did the raspberries come from? I don't know where the raspberries come from. What? Do we, why was I still in the Navy? You know, Mount Whitney doesn't exist anymore. I think it's been uh, taken apart by now, reclaimed. But I mean, it's. Are are we raspberry pirates? Are we the pirates of raspberry? Are we going to, like, sail into Strawberry Shortcake Land to say the Purple Pie Man owes us money? Where was that dream going? That's all I want to know. Don't you hate when you wake up and it's like, so where was the rest of that dream going? I have no idea. So I can't find my G.I. Joes, speaking of <laughs> kids stuff. <coughs> I've been looking all over for my G.I. Joes, and it pisses me off that I can't find them. 
And I can't remember if I sold them in a garage sale or gave them to a younger cousin because that's something I would have done once puberty hit me full force. Man, I had some awesome ones. I had the hooded Cobra Commander figure. I had the Bat Trooper. I had General Hawk. I had Lifeline. I had Outback. <laughs> it's all coming back to me now. But, I mean, G.I. Joe would get pretty silly at times. Yeah, I had Crazy Legs. I had Tomax and Zamont. Iron Gren Grenadier. Grenadier. <laughs> what are you, a space pirate? See, I didn't have any. I didn't have many vehicles. I had the X thirty jet and slipstream. The guy who went the got the swept forward wings jet. I also had the Awe Striker, A W E Struck Striker, and the Skyhawk. And uh, you know, just looking up those prices of those vehicles that I had, and all the toys, the GI Joes I had, yeah, it's getting me get me pretty depressed. Where the hell are they? Where are my GI Joes? <clears throat> Excuse me. I used to I used to be weird when I played with them too. I had a GI Joe on a zip line that had a zip line, and I'd hang them from the ceiling fan, ceiling fan. And then a uh, Cobra would send a crack team to go flip the light switch because uh, you know just to cause the Joe to swing wildly in circles until he's being flung into a uh, flung into a wall, or if he's lucky, the couch, and he could survive and rejoin his troops. I was also a sadistic little kid. The the Joes would capture Tomax or Zaymot, and then torture them for hours on a Saturday morning. and, and Or Joe would just uh, shoot the gun out of some poor viper's hand and then shoot his kneecaps off and then shoot his elbows off, then shoot him in the face. Apparently, there was no Geneva conven conventions in uh, the G.I. Joe world that I created. Also, there was never a good reason for the war at all. I would, I would uh, turn over shoeboxes or styrofoam forms uh, as G.I. Joe bases, and Cobra would attack. Some dumb trooper would turn to Hooded Cobra Commander and ask, Why are we here? What's our mission? And Cobra Commander would screech, There are Joes in there! And the trooper would push the issue, Yeah, but are there resources here that we're trying to secure? Or are the Joes eating babies or something in there? And Cobra Commander would draw his pistol and scream, We are Cobra! We fight G.I. Joes wherever we find them! And if the dumb trooper asked another stupid question, Cobra Commander would shoot him dead. So I figure that's why G.I. Joe always won. That and the mutilated corpses that G.I. Joe left in its wake. Plus, Cobra had air, no air cover. Well, I had the trouble bubble uh, for Cobra, but it's no match for the X-30 Conquest, I think it was called. I also think Cobra only had one vehicle, the Ferret. The two-person ATV, I mean, that I had. <laughs> one vehicle that I had. One-person ATV that, uh, I think it came with Tomax and Zaymont. So Cobra had a serious... A serious issue being financed by the same people who funded G.I. Joe. What I mean is Cobra would frequently run recon missions under the Christmas tree to shake boss boxes, listening for the voices of allies trapped inside. <clears throat> and that's, that's what I do with the Paul Harvey pause right there when you know a segment is over. Just so you know. I, wh I whistle and I ramp myself up to go into another one, baby. I go into another one. That's beer, and it's delicious. Looking for a sponsor. Any any beer company, really. I'll whore myself out. I'll tell people what I'm drinking here, beer. I'll put it in a glass so nobody has to know. So I was talking with Avery the other day. <clears throat> uh, Avery, he does the uh, you know, play, plays Heroes Unlimited with us on the FXPG uh, Pirate Gamers. That we got going again, and we uh, we first we put out our first video. I'm surprised nobody's seen that. You know, I put it out last week. 
No views? Come on, YouTube. Come on. Anyway, so I was talking with Avery the other day, and he asked aloud, how come Hitler always gets the Hitler label? And that may be confusing to some. I understand what he meant. He meant that Hitler is not even the worst of his kind. Mao Zedong is estimated to have caused the deaths of 70 million people, most of whom he starved. Stalin, 3 to 60 million people, depending upon who you ask. And Hitler is supposedly responsible for up to 17 million people. And my understanding is that most of that are soldiers who are fighting in the war on, on both sides. And so why is Hitler most of the worst? Is, why is Hitler the worst of the worst here in America? The most of the worst of the worst <laughs> here in America? Well, I'll tell you. I have an answer for you. It's because there were a lot of German immigrants. Uh, uh, there were a lot of German Americans in America leading up to World War II. In the last half of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, there was a huge influx of German immigrants into the United States. And with them came a lot of those Germanic ideals, including things like racism and anti-Semitism and even the National Socialist Party in the United States. In the 1930s, there were, there were Nazi youth camps in the United States. In short, America had started to assimilate the Germans into their culture when the Second World War broke out. That doesn't make America as bad as Nazi Germany because the whole world was sort of cautiously watch, watching the rise of the National Socialist Party in Germany and kind of kissed Hitler's ass as a bit to appease him. The 1936 Summer Olympics were held in Berlin, hosted by the Nazis. Time magazine made Hitler the man of the year in 1938. German as a language is closest to English, more so than Russian or Mandarin. So America had already started assimilating Germany into our common culture, and so Americans had to reject the negative aspects of that culture, which had been added to the collective. collective. The racism and anti-Semitism and master race bullshit that they had forcibly excised from American culture. Uh, the baby boomers who were raised under the umbrella of this rejection and grew up thinking Hitler was the worst of the worst because racism can find fertile soil in all of us. Once you, start, you th once you start thinking your skin color makes you the best type of person. And the boomers were the generation that ushered in the civil rights movement because those kids grew up rightly seeing the similarities between Jim Crow laws and Hitler's laws. America took the lessons learned from its conflict with Hitler and applied it to itself. America became a better country because of Hitler. I don't want to say that there was any positive aspect to the existence of Hitler, <laughs> so, so that's why Hitler gets the Hitler label here in the U.S., because he reminds us of the evil that could live in each of us. Plus, we have a hard time relating to Chinese and Russian people. Oh, we're cruising right along. Might be a short show. So I just want to talk a little bit about the Planet of the Apes, Gorilla Grodd, and the Ultra Humanite. Now, um, if you don't know about these, it's like a, uh, <laughs> <coughs> see when did the first Planet of the Apes movie come out? Um, Planet of the Apes. Anyway, uh, back in the day, back in like the very dawn of like the sil the Silver Age of comic books, which is like the early sixties, and um, nineteen sixty eight, it was late sixties, and so that was kind of a uh, Renaissance era. It's like not only was it uh, were the '60s, you know, um, 
you know, importantly, you know, culturally relevant and stuff like that, and uh, socially relevant, that's the word, socially relevant, and cause a whole bunch of important changes uh, in American society. It also, like, art had, like, kind of a, a renaissance. American culture had a renaissance during that growing period, which is super interesting, if you ask me. And so, I mean, it's, um, and so, um, like, uh, Planet of the Apes was a big movie in 68, and that was, like, that was the big, that was the, you know, the, <laughs> I guess the big swell of the Silver Age. It was, like, all the comic books were, had, like, uh, they had ape, there was always some monster of the week, some ape-like monster of the week, you know, and so you'd frequently see ape-like monsters in comic books as well as seeing ape-like monsters on the silver screen. Now, um, Gorilla Grodd and Ultra Humanite are specifically like DC comics villain, villains, and I believe that they're like, uh, like I think Ultra Humanite is the, like the very first official supervillain Superman fought. I did cursory research into this. I don't, you know, this isn't lost in the long box, all right? Uh, I don't do that much reading on it. Excuse me. I, but, I mean, there's all these ape-like supervillains and, you know, terrifying creatures in Planet of the Apes. And this has a very simple reason. It's because every single man, especially now, especially now in this day and age, every single man has seen the power that a gorilla has. You know, when you see them walking on this huge, massive arms, and you're like, whoa. It's like, yeah, I do not want to get in a fist fight with that guy because, he, you know, he'll give me an uppercut from way down there. Because they have short, they have really short legs and stuff like that, but their arms, you know, they're, whoo, they're a beast. And there's guys who spend all day in the gym just trying to look like that, trying to look like that. And so it's terrifying to think that you know is like, because mankind has interacted with uh, apes and, you know, large, uh, large primates plenty of times in the past from Sasquatch to bonobo chimps, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, it could have been a uh, – they've seen. They've seen what happens. Like, uh, gorillas will tear each other apart in social situations. And if – uh, like, there's some social thing going on. I forget what – what's it called? A, a troop? I believe it's called a troop of gorilla. And then if there's some like social things like where the 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 alpha you know is growing weak or something like that, they all rip him apart. And so humans have seen this over the years and they've heard it. And before long before you can look it up on YouTube, who's gonna look for gorillas tearing people apart? It's probably not on YouTube. <laughs> but you can probably find it somewhere else. But you know, humans understand that kind of power. It's a good thing they're really dumb, you know, they they only like fruit and jerking off. You know, and so that's, you know, it's good for us in that regard. But when you talk about Planet of the Apes, when you talk about Gorilla Grodd, when you talk about Ultra Humanite, you're talking about intelligent apes. And intelligent apes are terrifying if they had that kind of power. They'd be like predators running this earth. They would instantly become apex predators, all right? If, if they were as smart as Ultra Humanite, if they had the mind control power, just as Gorilla Grodd. They would instantly become apex predators and we'd be enslaved. And that was the whole concept of Planet of the Apes. All right? That's, that's the whole point. That's why it's so terrifying to think about some creature that that's, it's that powerful, you know, because it has thumbs and because it can you know, rip you apart. You know, a horse being intelligent, not as scary. It's terrifying to me, obviously. But, I mean, it's not as scary because... Even even a smart horse, the worst they can do is like kick you, 
or bite you. And that's pretty much the threat of all horses as is. Okay. I think there might be a possibility that they have a hive mind. To, the, the more horses you get together, the more dangerous they are. Forget about that. But the point is, is that like intelligent apes would instantly become apex predators and enslave humans. And that's just a fact of the matter. And that's why you saw so many ape-like creatures in comic books in the 60s. Because everyone had heard stories about gorillas tearing people apart. And the idea of a smart gorilla knowing when and where to use that strength. Terrifying. That's technically a superhero. King Kong, technically a superhero. Villain? Hero. Villain. Hero. Let's go with hero. Let's go with hero. All right. We may call it early day. Back hurts. So let's go ahead and go ahead and get to the news worth knowing. Um, so wouldn't you know it? It's like there's a, you know, there's missiles flying in, in Israel. You know, the Hamas is can't can't stop being Hamas. <laughs> I don't know. I mean to laugh. You know, you know, war war in the Middle East and lines for the gas pumps. I think it's the 1970s all over again. So, uh, Colonial Pipeline CEO warns of possible few short fuel shortages following cyber attack. All right. Uh, despite plans to reopen a major U.S. fuel pipeline later this week following a cyber attack of gang, cyber hack by a gang of hackers, Colonial Pipeline CEO Joseph Blunt warned state officials Monday to be ready of possible fuel shortages. In a private meeting, Blunt said that the company uh, wouldn't resume shipments until the ransomware had been removed, Bloomberg reported, citing someone who, who was at the discussion. Blunt reportedly maintained that his company has full control over the pipeline and is working with refiners, marketers, and re retailers to prevent further outages, according to the source. The company says it is manually operating uh, a portion of the pipeline that runs from North Carolina to Maryland and it expects to resume full services by the weekend. Meanwhile, gas stations supplied by the pipeline were reporting shortages Monday evening. Uh, Patrick DeHaan, an oil, an oil and refined products analyst, tweeted, is that a job? Oil and refined products analyst. Anyway, tweeted that Virginia was reportedly uh, reporting 5% of its stations without gasoline and rising. The uh, 5500 Colonial Pipeline which delivers about 45% of the fuel consumed on the East Coast, halted operations last week after revealing a ransomware attack that said it had affected some of its systems. On Monday, U.S. officials sought to soothe concerns about price spikes or damage to the economy by stressing that the fuel supply had, not, had so far not been disrupted, and the company said it was working towards substantially restoring operational service by the weekend. Nonetheless, the attack underscored the vulnerabilities of the nation's energy sector and other critical in industries whose infrastructure is uh, largely privately owned. Ransomware attacks are typically carried out by criminal hackers who scramble data privatizing victims' networks and demand large payments to decrypt it. Gasoline, gasoline futures ticked higher on Monday. Uh, futures for crude and fuel, uh, prices that uh, traders pay for contracts for delivery in the future, typically begin to rise anyway each year as the driving season approaches. Summer. The price you pay at the pumps tend to follow. The, uh, the average U.S. price for regular grade gasoline jumped six cents in the past two weeks uh, to $3.02 a gallon, which is $1.05 higher than a year ago. The year ago numbers are skewed because somewhat because the nation was going into lockdown due to the pandemic. 
<laughs> it's all going to be, all the numbers are going to be screwed up for a while. It's going to be like in all the stats, 2020, uh, 2020 and 2021 are just going to be this weird spike in everybody's graph for the next hundred years. <laughs> they were like, it was crazy. It was crazy during those years. And so, uh, yeah, if you don't know, it's like if there's there's two ways you get oil in Virginia. There's it's like overland from uh, ports in the north, or from underground from Texas. I found that out today, because <laughs> I see all these fools sitting around the um, the gas pumps. All these fools. Um, I I may not come out to the studio as much this week, but because uh, waiting for the weekend, you know. But uh, that being said, it's um, it's like the seventies. It's like people are lining up for it. You know, I think um, it's it's a hiccup. I think it's going to be a hiccup. I've heard, I've heard, and you know, who, who do I gossip with other than like Tim Pool and Stephen Crowder? It's like they never, they, no, they never email me. It's just by watching them. You know, it's like this hacker group is like that. Uh, they 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 apologize or something like that <laughs> or something. I don't know. What does Tim Pool know? That being said, you know I I think it's going to be a hiccup. I think it's you know I think there are multiple ways that we get here uh, here in the East Coast. And I'm, if you're talking about the Mid Atlantic region, Mid Mid Atlantic region is uh is is going is uh I don't know the, probably going to be the worst affected because it needs to come farther. Um, farther from the north and farther from the south to reach us. So it's going to be a little bit more for us for a little while. But it's going to be a hiccup. You know, gas prices may spike, but you got to understand these like gas prices everywhere else are going to be fine. You know, so uh, like, so I don't I don't know people investing in gas futures at this point. That's like I don't I don't know. Why don't you put it in a barrel? Hold on to it. Then go sell it on the street corner. <laughs> be worth more uh yeah i've been watching a lot of always sunny in philadelphia anyway let's go on to this next story my comment is jesus have mercy upon us sinners border crisis that you know nobody's talking about five unaccompanied migrant girls found abandoned in texas so five migrant girls all under the age of seven were discovered on Sunday by Texas farmer by a Texas farmer on his land in Quenado, Quenado, near the Rio Grande River. Quenado, yeah. Representative uh, Tony Gonzalez from Texas spoke with the farmer, who said he found the baby girls hungry and crying. He said one was naked and crawling because she was too young to walk. Jeez Louise. Gonzalez tweeted a photo of the girls on Saturday night with a caption, take a good hard look at the hashtag Biden border crisis at POTUS. Enough is enough. Let's work together to solve the cri- this crisis. The farmer said it was uh, very hot, so he provided them shelter and gave them some food before the f- authorities arrived. He said he did not believe that they would have survived if he had not spotted them. The incident seemed to underscore the worsening situation along the southern border. The farmer told Gonzalez that he lived on the farm since 1946 and he never experienced such conditions. U.S. Customs and Border Protection said the girls uh, would go under the, cu- under the custody of the Department of Health and Human Services once they are processed. The girls ranged in age from 11 months to 7 years old, according to ABC7. Three of them are believed to be from Honduras and the other two are from Guatemala. 
The report said the girls did not acquire medical attention, require medical attention. Chief Border Patrol agent uh, Austin Scarrow II called the discovery heartbreaking. Absolutely. He went on to say, unfortunately, this happens far too often now. If not for our community and law enforcement partners, these girls would have been, could have been faced in more than 100 degree temperatures with no help. <sighs> for some reason, the, the argument about safe haven laws, what, what's it called? Uh, where you can bring a baby to the hospital and you, they'll take it, no questions asked. And so, um, I don't, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I, I think you know more babies get turned in at hospitals than you know end up in dumpsters. And so I, I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, I think babies in dumpsters get found and you know, society catches them. Uh, but I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's like uh, everyone, you know, we're all like focused. Everyone, too many people are focused on themselves. You know, you know, look at what's going on in the world. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, there was anything Biden could do. Because even if even if these hackers or, you know, whoever um, um, caused this gas crisis, I mean, it's like that's something that, you know, no president could could have stopped. I don't think you can lay that at anybody's feet, you know. I mean, you could, you could argue that the, we've been spending too much money trying to keep these streets from burning due to rioters, you know. And we could have been spending money on, you know, security infrastructure for our, you know, infrastructure. <laughs> security systems for our infrastructure. Anyway, with that being said, I don't think that's Biden's fault. However, you know, whatever Biden's doing at the border, I mean, it's just, it's just sad. You know, and I think a lot of it has to do with your policy. It's like, yeah, it's like just telling people, to like, yeah, come on in. You know, you're going to be American citizens if you just get past the border. Next thing you know, you got people dumping an, an entire litter. You know, on this side of the border, and that it's a testament to how great this country is in comparison, because you know people, people who own their own property, who find a bunch of illegal immigrants, children, because we're that kind, we are that kind. And there's like a bunch of Texas farmers sitting there saying, thinking, "Well, I'm a Christian American." As a good-hearted person, I just can't, like, just throw them over the border. Now, I understand that's who America is, is but, I, you know, I'm not all for amnesty. And if you tell people, it's like, you're going to get amnesty just because we're kind-hearted people, you know, that's nonsense. Come through legally. Don't just dump your kids or throw them over the side of the wall. Come through legally. You and your kids. There's a process. Anyway. Uh, that, it was Trump saying that back in the day, and so that that obviously meant the orange man was wrong. Anyway, let's go to this next story. This is kind of weird. Houston Tigers caretaker who was out on bond for murder arrested after terrifying neighborhood. That's a confusing headline. Was the tiger arrested or not? <laughs> Excuse me. A man charged with murder who was re the reported caretaker of a tiger that terrified Houston residential neighborhood was arrested Monday. But the tiger remains unfound, police said. Victor Hugo Cuevas, 26, was charged with ev evading arrest for fleeing police officers who had arrived at the scene following frightened calls from residents. The man was eventually taken into custody at his parents' home in the suburb of Richmond. 
KPRC-TV reported. The large cat beca- uh, began roaming the streets and scared residents after it apparently got loose from its home where it was being kept as a pet. At one point, the tiger came within a few feet of a nearby ho- uh, homeowner. Quote, my mate. <laughs> I'll come back to this. What, what's going on in my mind. Uh, quote, my main concern right now is focusing on finding him and finding the tiger because the, what I don't want him to do is harm, harm that tiger. We have plenty of places that we could take that tiger and keep it safe and give it a home for the rest of its life, Houston Police Commander Ron Borza said at a news conference. The incident occurred around 8 p.m. on Sunday night, Fox 59 reports. According to the footage that appeared on social media, the tiger was wearing a collar and was likely a pet. Uh, it came face-to-face with an off-duty Waller County Sheriff's deputy, police said. The deputy could be seen yelling at the tiger's owner to get the cat back inside. Jeez Louise. That's a day you didn't sign up for, right, officer? <laughs> Any protesters, you know, people throwing Molotov cocktails. Tiger? Anyway, when officers arrived, the animal's caretaker put the tiger in a white Jeep Cherokee and drove off, Borsa said. A short pursuit followed, but Cuevas got away, police said. He was later apprehended, and he did not. He said he did not own the tiger, KPRC reported. Cuevas' lawyer, Michael Elliott, uh, told the station that his client planned on surrendering himself to the Harris County Jail, but was arrested before he could do so. Yeah, he just wanted to take his tiger with him? Anyway, he said Cuevas is working with the authorities to locate the owner of the tiger. Video of the incident was uploaded to Twitter by Michael Schwab. It appears that it would have been filmed by inside the house of a woman, of course, who is nervously watching as the tiger sits in the neighbor's yard. The, neighbor sudden, the tiger suddenly gets up and starts walking towards the deputy. Deputy pulls out his gun as the tiger approaches him and uh, comes within a few feet. Fortunately, in the footage, the man was not attacked. Uh, Cuevas was charged with murder in, uh, in November uh, in nearby Fort Bend County and was out on a $25,000 bond. He was taken to Fort Bend County Jail violating his bond, for violating his bond, the station reported. He also apparently has monkeys in his home, Borsa said. <laughs> Having a monkey is not illegal in Houston, Houston if the animal is under 30 pounds. Tigers are not allowed within the Houston city limits unless the handler, such as a zoo, is licensed to have exotic animals. In 2019, some people who went into an abandoned Houston home to smoke marijuana found a caged cage tiger. Jeez Louise. The tiger's owner was later ordered to pay for the uh, animal's care at an East Texas wildlife refuge. Quote, if that tiger was out and started to do some damage yesterday, I'm sure it's one of these citizens who would have shot the tiger. <laughs> Poor <laughs> He's the cop. He's the cop. It's like, I hope somebody would have shot him first before we did It's Houston. Anyway, uh, he went on to say, we have plenty of neighbors out here uh, with guns, and we don't want to see that. It's not the animal's fault. It's the breeder's fault. It's unacceptable. In a statement uh, about the incident, the people, PETA says, that tigers are not pets and often exploited and bred by owners. Uh, The man was quoted as saying, I'm never going to be able to financially recover from this. I'm kidding. Uh, This is another thing that PETA said. Tigers aren't animal companions. They're predictable predatory animals who should be forced to live in somebody's home. They're unpredictable, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, PETA's a little crazy about the whole pet thing. But that being said, it's like, they do have a point. But what I mean is what made me laugh is I thought uh, thought that 
this tiger could have possibly been raised like from milk bottle and just like a house cat, you know? You know what I mean? It's like a cat that's always been in the house, never been outside the house. And so uh, then the, the the house cat like eventually escapes because they're curious. Cats are curious. They want to get outside. When the door opens, they're like, hey, what the hell's going on out there? And what I mean is this tiger could have been raised in such a similar house cat way that uh, when he actually got out into the real world, it could have gone real bad for him. It could have gone real bad for him. But it's Or somebody else, obviously. But what I mean is that he walked up to that deputy, but it's just like, maybe the deputy has a bottle of milk he'll give me. You know, it could have been real sheltered kind of tiger. <laughs> he wasn't poked with sticks, you know, just a, it's just a pet. He just got really, really big. And it's, you know, obviously people from the neighborhood are going to, uh, you know, call in the report. The second you're washing your dishes and you look out the window and you see a tiger, you lock all your windows and doors and you call the police. Isn't that right? <laughs> There's a tiger outside. I don't know if uh <laughs> this is Houston. I mean, there's lots of critters out here, but whoo, that that ooh. <laughs> I saw I saw a horse a couple months ago coming down the street. I bet you see well, there was a cop on him. I felt that was okay. Didn't feel a need to call you. <laughs> okay, let's go on to these last two stories. Uh Oh, darn, I'm, I skipped a story. All right. I skipped a story. All right, let's go to this one here about New York violence. New York City reeling from violence as police group and officials ask, when is this going to end? New York City is reeling from a city of violence that even overtook one of the Big Apple's pro most prominent tourist attractions, Times Square, and continued through Monday morning. Four-year-old girl who was buying toys and two women, who uh, one of whom was a tourist, is that information relevant? We're in the area of the West 44th and 7th Avenue in Manhattan on Saturday evening when they're struck struck by bullets meant for someone else. They they were expected to survive, but the sub, suspect is still, lar still at large as of Monday afternoon. New York Police Commissioner Dermot Shea said Saturday that two, two to four men began arguing in the area when one pulled out a gun and began shooting. It appears at this time that three individuals that were shot were not known to each other and it appears that three are innocent bystanders. Speaking to the New York Post following the shooting, the little girl's aunt, 16-year-old Danae Romero, asked, what if he ends up hurting some more people? Because if he's able to do it in a place where there's uh, so much people like Times Square and not care, what's to stop him from doing it again? When confronted with this question on Monday, Mayor Bill de Blasio said Saturday's evening, Saturday's events were unacceptable and the suspect will be found and found soon. Quote, we got many, uh, we got to understand that there are some individuals who, who do the wrong thing. And there's still too many guns available and too many people who need policing solutions and community solutions. They also need to change, it also needs a change in Washington, he said. This is Bill de Blasio. You have the strictest, what are some of the strictest gun laws in the country in New York City? The answer is bring back jobs, bring back activities, and keep refining our policies, our policing strategies. There's no question in my mind, as the city comes back, well, uh, that's going to help us reduce crime and violence. Democratic mayor says he does not think the shooting will impact tourism. Excuse me. New York Law Enforcement Labor Coalition of Unions representing a city representing city police officers 
of all ranks said in the tweet that it believes the Saturday shootings served as a message to the politicians and, and laws whose laws and attitudes have made this city unsafe. Anyway. So as you know, as like with these, there's a lot to this article. I'm not going to read all that. I don't care. I don't live in, not in New York. I don't live in cities. I don't know about you, but I think I, if, if you are near a city, you should get out. And if you're close to a city, you should probably get out. It's like, I'm close enough to DC that I'm like, I, and Richmond that I'm like, eh, what's going on? What's the population of Fredericksburg, Texas? So I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. This violence and stuff like that is like, you know, you, all this COVID stuff, you, you remember they let out all, like all the like prisons out, a bunch of criminals out on the streets, like because of COVID, they're scared of COVID. And I don't care if criminals get sick during their time in the prison. They have the best health care in the world. Believe me. <laughs> free health care, the best free health care in the world. Oh, I'm out of here. Oh, see, now I went to the Tiger story. I went to the Tiger story because it was out of order. I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm, I'm a little buzzed. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to grab another. All right. I like to, you know, do happier stories to end the show with. So I got these two stories here that are yeah, pretty happy. Pretty, other than the gas and the 1970s flashback, it's uh, eh, not a great news day. Kind of slow. Uh, other, if, unless you live in Israel or your bench bureau. Anyway, uh, Utah climber rescued from spot called certain death after rock the size of a refrigerator rolled on him. Shouldn't be humping rocks, man. A climber in Utah was rescued Sunday from a mountainous area known as certain death after a large rock, to quote, the size of a refrigerator rolled on top of him, officials said. Rescue crews. See, that's, you see it? Did you hear that? Rescue crews. That's beer talking right They responded around 4 p.m. to call to the call of an injured climber in the Gate Buttress area of Little Cottonwood Canyon, which is part of the Wash, Wash, Wasatch Cache National Forest located about 15 miles from Salt Lake City, the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Search and Rescue said in a statement. If I mispronounced any of those words, I am sorry. Two climbers have had been navigating new routes in a waterfront area above a location called Certain Death, when the accident occurred, the statement said. One climber had pulled off a large rock the size of a refrigerator that rolled over the top of him. Damn. Two ground teams were sent to reach uh, the climbers, but officials said the difficult terrain and the nature of the climber's injuries instead required the helicopter to airlift him off the mountain. The rescue operation lasted about 90 minutes. That's, uh, that's some good time. That's a good time. 90 minutes to rescue rescue somebody in that situation? Those I guarantee you all those SARS guys. They're all like SARS guys. They're all uh, ex-military. They're para, uh, PJs, <laughs> parachute jumpers and SEALs and stuff like that. Rescue swimmers. <laughs> I bet they're all badasses. And obviously they are. 90 minutes, not bad. Officials did not elaborate on the climber's injuries and provide an update on his condition. He broke his coccyx. They didn't want to print coccyx. Confuses people. Where is that on you? Oh, it's you got one. You got a coccyx. 
So, I mean, I think that that's interesting because uh, I was thinking about when I read this article earlier today when I posted it for the show, I was thinking about um, that 127 Hours. Is that the name of that movie with a uh, – what's his name? Franco. James Franco. Yeah, yeah. So I think I got it right. But, I mean, uh, I think that happened like to – I mean, he, he was in a canyon. Right, and so uh, he did have a cell phone, I think. I can't remember. But, I mean, sometimes you get in those places out there in the wild where, the, you know, the coverage isn't great and stuff like that. And just having somebody, you know, able to move far enough to get a signal, you know, you can have someone find you in time. You know, and once you're alerted, once they're alerted, the uh, the airlift operation or once the airlift operation was called in, it lasted 90 minutes. That's pretty professional. That's pretty awesome. America, best best country on the planet. And uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that, you know, <laughs> can you imagine a rock the size of a refrigerator coming towards you, rolling over you? You, you would think it was like, oh, I'm going to end up like uh, Dr. What's his name? Doom? Dr. Doom from. No, not Fantastic Four. I know you're thinking that Madman says is thinking about the Fantastic Four. Doom from the Judge Doom. Judge Doom from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Thank you. Thank you. One last story, and I swear I'll let you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's do this one last story. Uh, New Jersey unwanted rescue dog becomes police department's first canine in decades. A Belgian Malnoy? Malno? Malnoy? Malno? I don't know how to pronounce dog names. Uh, his name is Arrow, went from a New Jersey animal shelter to becoming Pennsylvania Police Department's first canine since the 1960s, thanks to the patience and vision of just the right humans. Deb Bucci, forgive me, an animal attendant at the Burlington County Animal Shelter, knew there was something special about Arrow, who lived in the shelter for eight months, the Burlington County Times reported. Quote, their brains, especially in the Malnoy, are continuous. And the uh, and when they are locked in on the kennel, they go crazy, Bucci told the newspaper. Facebook post led her to Angela Connor, the co-founder and financial uh, chief financial officer of the Rescue 22 Foundation, which who trains dogs and help to help disabled veterans. "Quote: I knew this is very unlikely. Unlikely that Arrow would be the fit would be fit for a service dog," Connor told the Times. "I came in and evaluated Arrow and decided that it was a lot of." that a lot of the behavior that most people would find challenging was actually the kind of behavior the, the look, that we're looking for to develop into police work. With just the right training, it was ready for a shot. Oh, he, like, he passed the test right off, right, out the, right off of the bat. Lower Southampton Township Patrolman Kyle Heasley last, felt, last fall partnered with Arrow, now trains both a patrol dog and drug scent dog, according to the report. Everybody in the community community is very supportive and very happy that we now have a police dog, Heasley told the computer. The department's happy, and so are fellow officers. He's a great addition to the department. Heasley even lives with his new best bud. <laughs> he is just like a family dog when we go home. He knows, he knows when to turn it off. He knows when we go to work, Heasley told the newspaper. Yeah, plus you putting on your uniform. That helps him a lot. <laughs> I know a little bit about training dogs and stuff like that. And, you know, that's part of it. Uh, that being said, you know, it's like there are even organizations and people uh, inside the U.S. 
to rescue and repurpose broken dogs. You know what I mean? You know, I want. I, there's a lot of people out there that say that he's like America, America's just an awful place. You know, there's so much, uh, uh, there's so much stuff out there, and America's just an awful place. It's like, no, we're not. No, we are not. There are a ton of people out there going out there rescuing people fall, who are on a hike, and a refrigerator, you know, refrigerator-sized rock comes at you. There are organizations and people who are sit there trying to repurpose dogs. It's like, hey, that dog's acting weird. He's like, well, well, he's just. He's just weird enough to work for the police. <laughs> We're looking for those traits. It's like uh, we want all the the Asperger dogs. <laughs> They're good detectives. They're definitely definitely good detectives. Definitely definitely good definitely too good. <laughs> We're big sweeties, you know. And if we got our sense sense of humor back, if we all got our sense of humor back and learned to just laugh and like let things roll, you know, let the let the fleeting nature of words just move along into the wind. You know, I think we'd all feel a lot happier, you know, because and because at, at the end of the day, we're all sweethearts. We really are. And so I just I just want to remind you again to become a patron. Go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio. Become a patron. There, you know, for three bucks a month, it's no problem. It's very little. You know, you become a patron. If you can't do something per month, you can just send me a straight-up payment to Cash App. Use the Cash App, hashtag ShockMonkeyRadio, all one word. I would appreciate it. I also have books available on Amazon.com for digital download. Uh, search for Shock... Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Search for Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's. Uh, and I've got the Exit 13 books up there. I got the, the, the Bunny Years, a memoir. And I got the ravings of a madman also. So remind Patreon, <laughs> Cash, Cash App. Uh, check out my YouTube channel. Search for Shock Monkey Radio on YouTube. I would appreciate it very much. This has been a very fun night. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much for joining me here on Shock Monkey Radio. I am your host, the madman. And I love you. <laughs>